welcome to episode 10 of the Next Goal Wins podcast. On today's podcast, we are joined by Ben Thornley, who during his youth career at Manchester United was destined for greatness, but one night and one tackle changed the way his career would turn out. He takes us through memories of Manchester United and how his career developed after his horrendous injury. Thank you for listening, and yet again, we hope you enjoy episode 10 of the podcast. Welcome to our next episode of Next School Wins Podcast. How are you, Joe? Yeah, as always, very good. And yet again, we've got another very good guest with us today. He had a very exciting youth career at Manchester United during the Class of 92 era. Uh, but unfortunately, one night and one tackle changed his career. Um, since then, he's gone, in, gone on and had a career in football, but never quite reached the potential that everyone put out at the start. So I'd like to welcome Ben Formley to the podcast. Welcome, Ben. Morning, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. good. So let's go right back to the start when you grew up uh, in Manchester, in Borough. Um, were you a Manchester United fan from the start? I was, but there's, a, there's a, a little bit of a question mark there because everybody thinks <laughs> I'm from Bury, but I'm actually... I suppose I was born in Bury, but I didn't grow up in Bury. Um, the first sort of 18 months of my life where my dad was a school teacher in a place called Haywood in Greater Manchester, um, that hospital in Bury was the closest one to where I needed to go yeah. to, be bu- to be born. So even though I was born in Fairfield Hospital in Bury, as Gary Neville was as well a couple of months before me on the same ward, um, <laughs> I uh, I don't remember any part of my life living in that area of Manchester, but obviously I moved to Eccles in Salford and, and that's where I grew up. I was born in Bury, but I'm not actually from there because I don't remember anything of it. <laughs> so uh, most of my life was spent growing up in Salford. So what's your first memory of supporting United then? Um, do you know what? I'll be honest with you. I think the first memory I've got of anything United related was when I watched the World Cup in 1982 with my uh, with my mum's mum, who sadly passed away very soon after when I was only seven years old. But um, she was a she was a huge football fan, and one of the things that really sticks out in my memory is that for whatever reason she couldn't stand Kevin Keegan. I mean, I didn't even know who Kevin. I didn't even know who Kevin Keegan was at that at that time. But obviously, he was a very, very good footballer, and you know, yeah. won the you know won the Player of the Year, uh, both at Liverpool and at Hamburg, I think. But um, I think she just felt he was he was like really greedy, and every time <laughs> every time he came on the screen, she used to boo him. But um, but the 1982 World Cup was the one for me when Brian Robson scored a goal after 27 seconds against France. Um, and from then on in, when I realised that Brian Robson was a was a Manchester United player, and obviously they were the club that were just down the road from me, then that is how I, you know, that was how I became involved, not involved in football, but how I grew to love football. And, and yeah. when I saw him score that goal and then wanted to watch him any time, because obviously back then, Joe, there wasn't a lot of football on the TV. You got the World yeah, Cup, yeah. but domestic football, you were, you know, they, they were really, really sporadic unless it was the FA Cup final, which obviously was a huge day. So uh, you didn't really get to see them that often. But any time United were, were playing in Europe or they had a game, I would try and, you know, get my dad to tune it in on the radio so that I could listen. <laughs> um, and any time Brian Robson's name was mentioned, I just used to get really excited because he was Mr. Man United of the 80s. He, uh, 
he got us to so many cup finals and even though United yeah. didn't win the league in the 80s uh, we did have some some trophy success with the with the FA Cup final, so he he was the reason that um, that I you know wanted to be a, a professional footballer. Yeah, so United were the team that made you fall in love with football, but it was City where you uh, you ended up at the start. How did how did you make the switch from City to United? Did um, was the scouts looking at you, or did did you get the famous visit from Fergie? I did actually, yeah, I did. Um, I was I was at the Manchester City School of Excellence. They'd picked me up for, from my uh, my Sunday League team that I played for mm. a team called Caddy's Head Sports, and we used to get a lot of. Uh, we played in in many different leagues over a couple of seasons, and you did used to get a lot of local scouts coming down and and watching players. Um, I think Ryan at the time, who's obviously a year older than me, he was playing for yeah. Dean Sports, that was quite a, a prevalent club at, uh, around that time in in, uh, in our area. And me and another lad were were picked up to to go and train with the School of Excellence at Manchester City uh, um, at Platt Lane, which was their old training ground. Obviously, it's, uh, I think they do still use it, but um, not anywhere near as often. And I used to go down there on a Thursday night. The other lad who, who I went with, Paul Lancashire, his dad used to take us down there and pick us up because my parents were unable to do it on a Thursday to, due to other commitments. And um, and I played, you know, sort of, I don't, I don't know, three or four games for them during holidays and stuff like that. And then when I got picked to play for Salford Boys, I, I had to knock Sunday League on the head because the football was just getting too much at that time, yeah. around, around 13, 14 years old. I was, I was either playing or training every day of the week and it was just getting too much. So I had to knock one of them on the head. Um, played for, for Salford Boys, which was just, just down the road from the cliff. Uh, Ryan was already captain in the under-15s team and, and I was the captain of the under-14s team at that time. So... With it only being such close proximity to the cliff, you, you, when we were playing at home, we very often got scouts coming down from there just to have a you know a little look. Brian yeah. Kidd had pop his yeah. head in every now and again. And one Friday night, when I was due to go and stay at, um, at a friend's house, we always used to do it, take it in turns, one one Friday or another, he'd come to me or I'd go to him. And it was my turn to go to him. And my mum and dad said, you can't go out tonight. Um, Jeff's welcome to stay here. But you, you know, you need to be here, and they didn't explain anything other than that. So we'd had something to eat, and then about half six, quarter to seven, the doorbell goes at the front, and anybody that that knows me, and around that time with my brother and my sister, um, we we lived in quite a big Victorian semi-detached house where the driveway yeah. went right the way around the back, and anybody that knew us. They just used to come round the back, and very often they didn't even bother, you know, knocking on the door. They just used to announce themselves. So for somebody to come to the front door, it was it was it was a little bit strange, strange, especially in the evening. So I, uh, my dad said, "You better go and see who that is. Just go and open the door." So I went. I opened the door, and standing in front of me was Brian Kidd and Sir Alex Ferguson. And I, I, you know, for a sort of five or six seconds, I was just completely gobsmacked. And my mum and dad came over my shoulder and uh, and said, well, you know, you need to invite them in. Um, and that was the story that Sir Alex um, came with Brian Kidd and convinced my parents that he that I want well that they wanted me to uh, to switch allegiances and and go to go to Manchester United. And for me, it was a it was a no brainer. They were the team that yeah. I, I'd, I'd followed from when I was seven years old. 
and um, and from you know being that seven-year-old kid, what, nine years later in 1991, I'm I'm walking through the doors of the Cliff Training Ground for my first day of pre-season, and uh, and Brian Robson, who have been idolised for you know <laughs> nine years, he's walking yeah. down the stairs and asking me how I am. So it was quite a surreal moment. How did the conversation go with Sir Alex and Brian Kidd? Um, for the most part, I wasn't in the room. Um, he explained to me that he you know what he he thought about me and as a player and and how he thinks that being at United could develop me but then obviously the the nitty-gritty of everything and the stuff that my mum and dad you know wanted to ask him uh, I I left the room and then and then came back in sort of towards the end um when they said to me you know is is this is this what you want do you do you want to go to Manchester United and straight away I said yes that was it was as easy as that for me yeah, so you touched on it then, walking into the cliff and seeing Brian Robson. What was it like for you to be meeting your idols? Was it was it tough at the start, or did, did you have to realise quickly, you know what, these are just human beings, I've just got to get on yes. with it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, in effect, you know, you're, you're, you're going into that club as a 16-year-old lad, and and you are trying to get to, the, to, to where they are. Uh, and mm. as much as they were incredibly helpful... Uh, all the way along, not just with me, but with with all the lads that joined at at, at my um, at, at my time, they quickly, and I'm talking the uh, the guys that are already established, they quickly became aware that um, they might have to sort of hold us back a little bit because we were <laughs> we were we were gunning for their places, and uh, you know after yeah, all, yeah. if you if you join a football club, yes, you, it's very very un. un unusual for you to go straight into the first team environment and none of us did um despite the the talent that that was uh was around at, at that time in my in my group but it quickly became noticeable that sir alex wasn't gonna ignore us for very long and would you know after the first year of our apprenticeship um our second year he was going to slowly but surely start introducing us into the first team fold and and then giving us our debuts and and that's exactly what happened and it didn't take too long before um paul parker for example was was moved on so gary neville could take his place uh yeah. paul ince went and you had the likes of nicky butt and scolzy and um, Andre Kincelskis went, and you know David Beckham came in on the right hand side. So um, the manager had um, he, he had a view that that these lads were were, were going to be the you know the the future of the yeah. of the club from the sort of mid nineties onwards. Um, and obviously, with the help of your brilliant grandfather Joel, then it, <laughs> it, it, it all soon became it, it became a, a reality that 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 was going to be the next ten years of, of Manchester United, and especially after. Alan Hansen after the start of the '95 season, and they lost three-one at Villa, and it was yeah. littered with 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 what well, with kids really of you know of sort of what 19 years old, and he said you know you'll never win the title with kids, and after that first game, people probably thought yeah he's right, you know we they need a little bit more, but they just grew in stature, grew in strength, and under the guidance of Sir Alex, they won the league. So what you touched on the Alan Hansen comment? What was the feeling like around the training ground uh, after he'd said that? Was it kind of like well, right we need to prove him wrong, or was people well, like you, you know what maybe he's right? Do you know what, Joel? I, I obviously it was a year that after, or you know, just over a year after I'd done my injury. So yeah. I wasn't I wasn't around the first team fold at the time, but I can only imagine that a comment like that with Sir Alex at the helm was only going to spur them on. 
And I, yeah. I think that the, the, uh, collectively, as a group, it was just a case of we're not having that. You know what I mean? There, mm. there is talent, yeah, and yeah. it might, and it might take a while to shine through. Um, and I don't even think that Sir Alex believed that they would probably go on and win the league that season, but they did. And they, they, he had a group of lads there that I grew up with that I knew were extremely talented, that were prepared to listen, prepared to work hard, had the grounding from Eric to, to you know, to just to be normal, don't get carried away with anything. You know, you, your granddad always used to say to us, you know, you, you're not good players until I tell you you are. And, yeah. and he meant it, do you know what I mean? He absolutely yeah, meant yeah. it. But the advice that he used to give us was was very, very basic, but it, it, it it's taken us all the way through our lives and, and for that we're all extremely grateful. Yeah, so what was he like as a coach then on on a day-to-day basis? Um, are you talking about Eric? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Eric, yeah. Yeah, he, he, was, um, he, he was hard. I mean, there's no two ways about it. And yeah, yeah. I, I think at that time we were we were more worried, if you like, or aware of the comments that he would come out with rather than Sir Alex, because, you know, Sir yeah. Alex, as much as he had a vested interest in the youth team, uh, and it was always great to see him there at Youth Cup matches and supporting games, and we always used to want to be in the A-team, if you like, with your granddad who took the A-team at the time, because if the first team were at a home game, you always knew that Sir Alex would at least stay for the first half of, of any mm. of any A-team game. And it was always exciting to know that Sir Alex Ferguson was watching you, but our main aim at that time was to make sure that we impressed Eric. And he, 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 was, he was fair in the fact that he knew that you couldn't have a brilliant game every game, but he could also see if you were shirking your, you know, what, what yeah. he'd asked you to do. And that was the thing that really grounded him. He, he knew that nobody was going to be you know, world-beating every game, but as long as he saw people putting a shift in, he was, um, he was really fair with us. And, and he obviously realised that he had, he had a talented group of lads and, and he looked mm. after us massively. And I don't think there was, um, there was any doubt that we were, well, the, the lads that he'd, he'd sort of looked after for a couple of years were going to go on and do massive things. We, we won the Youth Cup in the first year, as you know. We, we got to the final in the second year and, you know, were desperately disappointing uh, to have been beaten by a side that a, less than, I think it was three or four months later, from the end of that 93 season when they beat us in the Youth Cup final, we had all moved up into our respective reserve sides and the same sort of game took place again in the September or the October. I think they had David White in their ranks and we had Dion Dublin. But other than that, it was exactly the same and we beat them 7-1 at Ellen Road. So that it yeah. just goes to show that we, we, you know, we were capable. But at the time, they were... They were like men, if you like. You know, we were still sort of growing up to be men, um, and they seemed to have reached it before. And they were very physical, and they had some talented players as well. And I've got no qualms about the fact that we weren't cheated, we weren't bullied. Well, we were bullied, but bullied in the right way. Um, yeah, yeah. And and they they were a better team than us, and and deserved to win the final. And I've spoken to the likes of Noel Whelan and um, Jamie Forrester, Kevin Sharp, who were all members of of that team. And and I've I've only ever been complimentary about it. There's been no bitterness. I know there is bitterness between United <laughs> and Leeds, and it and it's and it's coming back next season. But oh, yeah. Um, yeah. no, we we were well beaten, and and there was nobody more disappointed than 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 your granddaddy. He, he was. 
you know, he was philosophical about it, that as disappointed as he was, he could see how disappointed we were. And yeah, I think yeah. under normal circumstances, if we'd have turned him two performances like we did, we'd have got the biggest rollicking of our lives. But I, I don't think he wanted to go down that route because for two years... You know, he he'd, he'd had the pleasure of dealing with us, and this, yeah. by and large, was the last time that we were going to be in a group underneath him because we were moving up to the reserves, yeah, and yeah. and the next batch was coming in. So I don't think he wanted to end it on a sour note, and he could see how disappointed we were. Yeah. So as a group, you obviously there was plenty of success stories afterwards. What made that group so special, in your opinion? Was it the fact that they all grew up in the area, or was was the talent already there from the start? Well, the talent was already there. I think if you take out um, if you take out John O'Kane, David Beckham, Robbie Savage, and Keith Gillespie, they were the guys that were living away. John was in Nottingham, yeah. David in London, Keith in Ireland, Robbie in Wales. So we didn't see them on a on a regular basis. But obviously, myself, Gary, Scolzi, Nicky Butt, Giggsy, we all saw each other on a on a much more regular basis because we were local and because yeah. we got together for for evening training but I just think that we we were individually we were talented at a lot of different things you know we had um, we had Gaz who by his own admission said you know I am not anywhere near as talented as some of these lads that I'm, I'm yeah. joining the club with but what Gaz did was he worked so so hard David was exactly the same although he was talented don't get me wrong but <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was the it was the it was the endeavour to make sure that you know we weren't the first ones to leave training. You know we went out in afternoons even when we weren't called back to training afternoons, and we stayed out after training sessions to you know to work on different things that that we were well that we were good at and and obviously some of the things that we weren't so good at. And the one great thing about being at Manchester United was that there wasn't just one person that you could go to. There were so many different people either on coaching coaching wise or some of the other guys that that. Yeah. Were, were obviously already established that if you said to him listen you know I want to work on this will you come out with me I mean we do it with each other as well but sometimes mm. you wanted you wanted an, an expert opinion so you'd go and ask Eric you'd go and ask Nobby Styles, and and they would happily you know come out and and work with you on, on what you wanted to do because they could see that there was no point in saying oh no I have you know I haven't got time to do that now sort of thing yeah, they could yeah. see that we wanted to better ourselves and we wanted to listen we wanted to work hard and we were respectful of the coaching staff that we had there and I just think that when you've got that sort of a blend and obviously these lads are talented lads as well then yeah, you've got yeah. a recipe you've got a recipe for success and and it, you know what those lads went on to achieve that absolutely proved that by the grounding that we had when we first arrived when we were 16 everything had gone in there it had stuck there and it served them right the way through the careers how important was the environment that was created by the coaches massively um it, it was you know they, they quickly understood that they had a they had a, a real sort of talented group if you like it was unprecedented yeah. for so many different players to to come into the club that they instantly recognized would probably be able to play Manchester United's first team and they created an environment whereby they didn't push us too far but they were pushing us enough to to give us that opportunity to to step into the first team fold 
uh, and he didn't sort of pile everybody in at once. Sir Alex, he he, he had uh, when I made my debut, I was the only one down at West Ham. I think Scolzi made his debut at Port Vale and he scored two on his on his debut in a in a. I don't, I can't remember what is it. Was it the Coca Cola Cup back then or where? Anyway, it's yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the Carabao Cup, Cup equivalent. Um, Nicky Butt made his debut. Gaz made his debut in uh, in a, a European game, I think, against uh, Rotor Volgograd. Um, and it, it was he did it all at different times because yeah, yeah. he wanted to. He knew that we'd all grown up together, uh, but he wanted to see how we could survive on our own as well. And yeah, I think yeah. that was why he introduced us at different times and not very often were we were we together with one of our teammates. They wanted to see how we would how we would deal with, with being in a, a slightly different environment than we were used to, but still mm. a, an extremely helpful one, extremely secure one. So th- the environment that they created for us was, was protective, but it was also uh, in a, a constructed such that we were, we were still pushing for that um yeah. for that first team appearance if you like and to see how we would we would uh, we would cope out of our out of our comfort zone what kind of day-to-day challenges did you face in the around the training ground you know how did that help you develop say that again sorry sam um what kind of day-to-day challenges did you experience in the around the training ground um well we had to deal with the hazing which uh, which obviously was if you're not familiar with that term, that's the mm, what mm. Um, the in, initiation processes, if you like, where we had to do things like, you know, chatting up the mop and um, <laughs> there, there were so many different things. Honestly, you you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't believe. But I think if I'm if I'm right in saying that there was one member of our of our youth team at the time that um, that got I think he got hit or punched or something like that. Um, and he just lost his rag. He, he absolutely lost yeah. his rag. And the next day, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you who it was because the lads in, um, the lads know who it was. Uh, but this, this lad, unbeknown to our second year apprentices, who was the ones that were, you know, were giving us all the grief. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, his, his dad knew Brian Kidd extremely well, uh, and he didn't come into training the next day. Um, and um, Andy Noon, I remember it distinctly. Andy Noon came downstairs. He was the foreman. He was the guy that that um, went up to see Eric and tell us tell him that all the jobs were done. He would come yeah. down and inspect everything, and then you know we'd be sent on our way. And Andy Noon came downstairs and he said, "Eric Harrison wants all the second year apprentices in his office now." And uh, <laughs> and we and we all knew what it was about. And when they all trudged back downstairs, you could see that that you know the heads were were hung in shame. <laughs> And uh, and it stopped and it stopped from there on in. Eric put a complete stop to it. it they all knew that it went on, and it was you know yeah. it was a bit of character building. But by that time we had already been through it. This was you know this was still going on midway through the season, um, and he he put a, he put an immediate stop to it. And and I don't know wh- whether it carried on or not. But yeah. that was one of yeah. that was one of the challenges because some of the lads were were a bit introvert and they they mm. recognized that straight away and it wasn't just the second year apprentices it was you know some of the other lads that i now you know 
still see and 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 play football with for with our ex players matches that used to yeah. wander in from the reserve team dressing room and and think it was you know it was highly amusing um and they recognized the guys that were you know that they could pick on easily yeah, and, yeah. and and eric, eric didn't like that that was a, that was it was a form of bullying it was done in in good humor and good banter but when it, it's only it's only good humor and good banter if it's not having a, a, a you know a, a detrimental effect on on players not just physically but but mentally as well you know if you think yeah, that you're yeah. going to go into work every day you're going to get bullied then there's going to be something that tells you that you really don't want to go and that you if you don't enjoy something you, you you're not going to excel at it either and i think all these things combined eric just said that's it and he said if i hear any more you're gone simple as that yeah, yeah. so it, it was stopped so that was that was one of the challenges um, and the other challenges were, were obviously making sure that, that you impressed in training um, mm. uh, you know United right the way through from when I can remember joining as reserve team players we we very often did get like the day off after a game or we only came in for mm. half a day for a warm down the first team under Sir Alex they didn't get days off they were in mm. every day to train. He might have turned around and said, you know, if there was a gap uh, between games, he might have given two or three individuals, you know, a three or four day break to go off and, and spend with the family and take them somewhere or just be at home to relax. But other than that, there was no designated day off for, for Manchester United players. And that was something that I quickly, well, I quickly learned when I went to, to clubs uh, later on in my career, that that is why they were so successful, that... They, they never got the time off. They worked and yeah. worked and worked, and and that's why they were they were so successful. The manager didn't believe in in giving them you know one designated day off a week. They had Sunday off if they played on a Saturday, and they were back in on a Monday morning. But other than that, they were effectively training and playing six times a week. Yeah. So obviously, with that group, uh, the pinnacle you could say was uh, the youth cup win. Uh, what was it like? for you to be playing the games at Old Trafford in front of in front of the crowds? Yeah, the crowds um, quickly started to fill up when they realised that we were getting deeper and deeper into the competition. And uh, I think uh, n not so much in the first year, although there was a decent crowd there, but I think in the second year when we played Leeds, there was... Uh, there was 30-odd thousand there at both venues, yeah. at Old Trafford and at, at Ellen Road. So that was something that, you know, you, you quickly needed to get used to because yeah, yeah. Uh, e even, at, even at youth team level, and we'd been to, just prior to that, we'd been to Millwall as well. And uh, oh. and that and that was a that was an iron ore. So you, you you think that you've got away from from a, a hostile crowd when you manage to see off Millwall in the semi final, and all of a sudden you get leads. So yeah, but it, it is it was it was a brilliant um, a, a a brilliant thing for us to to be able to run out at Old Trafford. A, a wonderful experience. I mean, I was fortunate that while I was still at school, I had played um, in the English Schools Trophy with with Ryan's team a year above, and we played the final. Uh, um, well, we actually we played the semi at Old Trafford and the final. So I had had a, a small taste of um, yeah, of being yeah. um, of being on the Old Trafford turf. But when there are fans there, and it, it honestly really, really does mean something because this is your job, mm. um, yeah. then it, it is something extremely special. And then obviously you go and you make your debut or your home debut, and and that is that is something else. So during your during your time at the, at the youth setup, who was the best player that you think you played with? Um, I think 
in my first year, uh, and I obviously I'd played with him and against him for for many mm. a year. Nicky Butt was the one that that stood out for me. Um, yeah. I, I just thought he was a like I said, having played both with him and against him, I knew his strengths. He didn't have many weaknesses at all. He was he was a a really sort of really really good box to box midfielder. Mm. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't very tall, but he was wonderful in the air his timing was was brilliant and when i played uh, when we played greater manchester county together uh, we both played in in central midfield because it was only when i went to united yeah. that i made the switch from being a midfielder to a to a, a, a winger if you like but me and nicky had, uh, we, he was at manchester boys i was at salford boys so we we we'd locked horns against each other and then playing for the county we we played with each other and and we both allowed each other to you know to dominate our strengths i used to enjoy picking the ball up and running with the ball and making things happen and nicky you pound to a penny he would come out with w- whatever battle he had he'd come out on top both in the air and on the floor because he was solid yeah. and for me he was he was somebody that i really enjoyed playing with in my first year but then in my second year the emergence of of who now is is the best player i've had the privilege of playing with which is the emergence of Scolzi in the second year, because in the first year, despite, you know, contrary to, to people's beliefs, Scolzi never kicked a ball in the first year when we won the Youth yeah. Cup. He, he wasn't involved at all, but in the second year, he was without question our our best player. And the transition from him from the previous year, from 16 to 17, and then from 17 to 18 was immense. And yeah. obviously having the, the, the joys of playing with him and, and then even more joy watching him because I didn't get the, the opportunity to play with him when he was in his pomp, when he was you know a player that Zidane and Iniesta and Xavi yeah, and whoever yeah. else <laughs> would love to have played with. But actually you know watching him and, and still watching him in in games now that he plays in exhibition matches and I know that I've asked him to play in a couple of couple of games over in in the, in the far east that he's come over and done it and and he's an yeah. absolutely massive draw because of the way that he is and and the fact that you know he never does many interviews or he never did many interviews I know that he's yeah. you know he, he he's he's gone on to be a pundit now for BT Sport but he was a very very private person and when you hear that Scolzi's going to come, apart from the fact that he's a wonderful footballer, he's also somebody that you never really get a chance to to actually see, if you like. Whereas yeah, you yeah. know somebody like Bex is Bex is you know was on the, the, the front <laughs> and the back, the front and the back of the papers yeah, yeah. For, for years and years and years. But Scolzi never was, so there was just that little bit of trepidation with people about Scolzi, and and it, 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 the opportunity to get to see him in the flesh is. He's just too much to turn down. So, mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful footballer and, and probably mm. the best midfielder that I've seen in the last 20 years. Uh, um, uh, well, anywhere, really. Yeah, so you made your debut for the first team in a 2-2 draw away at West Ham. What was Upton Park like as a place to make your debut? Because I'm guessing it was quite a hostile environment. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. very much so. I mean, I've, I've spoken about the, you know, the Millwall and, and Leeds things when we were in the Youth Cup, but obviously the first team is is a, is a different kettle of fish. Yeah. And at the time, there were only three subs and the, there was myself, there was Dion Dublin and Les Seeley, who, you mm. know, bless him, is no longer with us either, yeah. but a fabulous bloke. Um, and ironically, he actually left United and went to West Ham. But while we were warming up, 
Les Seeley was giving the West Ham fans absolute dogs abuse. And of course, with with that came the abuse back to, yeah. you know, oh, who's, who's this dickhead warming up here who we've never seen before and never heard of type thing. And they were, I would say, well, I came on in about the, I don't know, the, let's say the 70th minute. But from when we went first went out to warm up after 15, 20 minutes of the, the game kicking off, they were the longest sort of 40, 45 minutes of warming up that I've uh, yeah. <laughs> I've I've ever encountered, and I, I must admit, as as nervous as I was for getting on the pitch, I was more terrified running up and down the side of it with those West Ham fans and and some of the things that they were shouting and what have you. But yeah, if you can, you know, if you can handle it there somewhere like there, for example. Yeah. Um, I, I would imagine that Anfield would have been a, a fairly hostile place as well, as Ellen Road would have been. But West Ham was a very, very tight ground. The fans were very close to the pitch. Um, and just to go away from what you, the question you've asked, I actually think that it, it's going to be detrimental to them, as wonderful as the Olympic Stadium is. Yeah. I, I just think that the, the Upton Park or the bowling ground, whatever you want to call it, was such a difficult, difficult place to go and win and mm. not many teams did and obviously United didn't on that occasion um, and moving away from there I think has uh, uh, just taken something away from, from West Ham Football Club So through your days would you say that's the most hostile stadium you've played at? No um, although <laughs> okay yes that I've played at but the yeah. most hostile stadium that I've ever been to, um, although I, I was only in the squad, I, I didn't actually end up, I was one of the people that ended up not getting changed and, and being on the bench, was the uh, the infamous trip to the Ali Sami Yen Stadium, in, uh, in, which was Galatasaray's oh, yeah. old home yeah, ground. Yeah. Um, and it was the game just after Peter Schmeichel had, uh, had launched that Kurd who broke onto the pitch at Old Trafford <laughs> in, a, in a 3-3 draw. Uh, and obviously it was back then it was over two legs and and yeah. we needed we needed to 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 well we needed to win the game really uh, because they already had three away goals Galatasaray and the game finished nil nil they were you know we got to the airport and the they they'd had to put perspex screens up and there were fans oh. like faces pressed up against it the sweat dripping off them the hatred running through their eyes um, in the stadium from four or five hours before because when the when when um, when we pulled up on the coach, the Ali Sami Yen was one of these stadiums where you could, it was like an old, like a coliseum type thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the fans at the back of the stadium could peer out and look what was going on outside. I mean, there's no grounds that you can, it's yeah, certainly yeah. not in the Premier League that you can do that now. Uh, but back then it was a decrepit old place and you, the changing rooms were like little rabbit warrens and you had to have guards with you wherever you went uh, even to go out onto the pitch you get out onto the pitch and it's one of these because like I said you're underground and you have to come up the stairs and you're at the end of the pitch behind one of the goals and be, and the other goal you couldn't see because of all yeah. the flares and everything yeah, it was just yeah. completely smoke filled um, but when the game kicks off and you get one side of a stadium chanting and you get the other three sides answering and back I mean as as worrying and, and as terrifying as it was for for you know somebody of, of my age that had never seen anything like that before mm. it was um it was an incredibly moving experience to to hear all that so in terms of hostility that is the the worst place I've ever been but it does hold memories 
of um, of these fans chanting back at each other that I'd never yeah. heard before, and it was uh, it was brilliant. But certainly West Ham, yes, I would say is the is the most hostile place. Although I did play at Ellen Road when when um, when Roy Keane did his cruciate. So oh, I was yeah, in the t- yeah, I was in the team yeah. for that as well, uh, and that again we've already spoken about Leeds. That was that was pretty hostile. So I would say Leeds and West Ham. Yeah, well, at my time. At obviously, United. a few months after you made your debut uh, for the first team came the obviously the night that changed you changed your career. Um, what can you remember mm-hmm. from that night where you, where you obviously had your bad injury? Um, I just remember. Um, one set, mate. I just need to put my glasses on. <laughs> sun's, sun's come out and it's right in my face. Um, I I remember receiving the ball um, somewhere, I think just inside the centre circle yeah. going into the Blackburn half. Um, and I was aware that the full-back had obviously mm. come with me or he was coming towards me, which had vacated a, a, a huge space yeah, in yeah. that you know in in his area of the field and Clayton Blackmore I think it was he spotted that and he started to make the run up the left hand side knowing that he, he had acres to run into and I, I saw him out the corner of my eye and as Nicky Marker came towards me uh, I just slipped the ball into the space for Clayton to run onto and Nicky didn't actually catch me until I'd made me pass and then yeah. replanted my foot on the floor, and yeah. that was when he hit me. That was when... I mean, it is only... Don't get me wrong, it is only oh, a couple yeah. of seconds, yeah, yeah. probably not even that, maybe a second and a half. But as a as an experienced defender, it, you, you, that is way, way too late and, and beyond the call of duty to, to tackle somebody. First and foremost, the way he did... And, and secondly, the, the timing was um, mm. was was just way off. It was way off, and and that was because I think he'd probably just become extremely yeah, yeah. frustrated with you know he was what 28, 29. I was an eighteen year old kid, and he he'd just been been given the run around. The whole team had been given the mm. run around. It wasn't just me and him. Um, we were three 0 up. We were coasting, um, and obviously about ten minutes before that, Jim Ryan, our youth our reserve team manager, had said to me. You know, are you okay? Yeah, How yeah. Are you feeling? Blah blah blah. Because obviously there was a there was a good chance that uh, that following weekend I, I might have been in the starting lineup for the FA Cup semi final mm. against Oldham at Wembley. Uh, but I said no, I'm um, I'm fine. Don't you know? Don't bring me off. I'm happy and yeah, I'm an 18 yeah. year old kid. I'm enjoying my football at Man United. It was the one thing that I'd really wanted to do. I didn't even think about you know what was what was yeah, around the corner. Yeah, you can't, you can't, um, I wasn't, you can't really. Because if you if you play football, always thinking that you'd never sort of you won't enjoy playing, would you? Did um, obviously after it happened, exactly. how did it change the way you played when you, when obviously you came back? Did you were you, were you a bit not scared, well, but going into fifty fifties maybe you kind of lost that edge, but yeah, yeah, psychologically um, it was. It, it, it was always going yeah. to be at the back of my mind because when you you know when you'd taken a tackle like that and it, and it was it was a bad tackle i mean the, the it was it was late it was high yeah. it was deliberate in my in my eyes um and the damage that it caused was was such that the surgeon described it as putting a book on its spine and just letting it go and just watching all the pages just fan out he said there was just nothing left and ironically, he told me that 
you know, that actually did did make yeah, his job yeah, of repairing yeah. my knee easier because there was there was there was literally nothing left. He didn't have to start going in between fibres and messing around. He just said it, the damage was such that I just basically started from scratch. So uh, and there were other things. It wasn't just my cruciate, my medial went, my hamstring was torn. I, I had so many different things with medical terminology <laughs> names that I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to describe to you but he um he did a he did a wonderful job but then it was the case mm. of the rehabilitation it was how it was going to affect me both mentally men, mentally and physically um and it did both because I was always known for being somebody that was yeah, fairly yeah. quick and I had two decent feet and I, because I was quite small I had a, a decent um, I had a decent sort of centre of gravity and I could go either way and that was taken away from me a little bit and when you when you have something in your game that just sort of gives you that edge over your opponent then you need to obviously you need to work on that and you need to take it to the next level and I think that if you know without the injury happening then that would have been something that I would have worked yeah. on more and more and more, and especially with the, you know, the sports science and everybody else that became involved in football to try and help improve players. Um, I think I would really yeah. have benefited from that. But unfortunately, when you when you are trying to get to that elite level, and you are competing week in week out, then that, you know, that little yeah, tiny yeah. bit that you have lost. It might only be a tiny bit, but they are such fine margins for you to be able to compete at the very, very top level that even though I did go on and have a career, um, that injury yeah. took that away from me. And that's why I had a career and no disrespect to anywhere where I've been because I've, I, I, you know, I've hugely enjoyed the fact that I've been able to play professional football, but I didn't do it at the club that yeah, yeah. I really wanted to be at. Um, I, and and I didn't have the career that maybe at one stage um, it looked like I was going to have. So it, it it did it did affect me, and and it affected me for you know for for quite a long time. So Ben, um, moving on, what would you say has been your most favourite time in football after Manchester United? Um, I think it was my time. Um, I had me I had one year at Huddersfield, my first year at Huddersfield yeah. that I really enjoyed. Um, but I think the, the the time that I enjoyed most was my first year up in Scotland at Aberdeen. Really? Uh, I, I was in a position whereby I'd left Huddersfield, I didn't really know what was going to happen, and then out of the blue I got a phone call from the chief scout up there to say, um, would you be prepared to come up and you know train for a couple of days and, and maybe have a practice match with we've got a, a, like three or four trialists that we want to um, that we want to have a look at mm. and and your name came up as being one of them so I went up and played a game for Aberdeen and fortunately I'd I'd been I'd actually been in Malta and I'd been uh, I'd been running uh, or helped run one of Gary Neville's soccer schools that he used to have out there so I'd been doing quite a lot of physical work and uh, although I hadn't been doing yeah. a pre-season as such I had actually been doing like playing in little five sides and and really you know sort of keeping myself ticking over and that that helped me massively. So I went to um, I went to, I, I, actually from Malta I went and had a two week trial at Charlton under yeah. Alan Pardew at the time, and he he was sort of unsure of another player that he wanted to sign in my position. 
and this guy was messing him about and he was coming, then he wasn't. But on the back of that, he wasn't actually yeah, yeah. giving me a decision. And then this phone call came from the chief scout at Aberdeen and I just thought, listen, you know, I can't wait for Alan Pardew to make his decision. So I went up to Aberdeen. They played their first home game because, as mm-hmm. you know, the Scottish League kicks off a, you know, a good couple of weeks before the English one does. So they played their first home game against Rangers, uh, got beat 3-0. I trained on the Sunday, trained on the Monday, and then on the Tuesday we had, um, we had a, a game against Arbroath, mm-hmm. which is just down the coast from Aberdeen. Uh, and I, I scored, I definitely scored one, and I think I helped win us a penalty. We won the game three nil, and and I won the penalty. And one of the, uh, one of the, the French trialists who was playing in the game, he was having a bit of a nightmare. And one of the guys who was playing in the game with me said, you know, you have it, you take it. And I thought, Do you yeah, know what, yeah. I want to see if this lad can, you know, at least at least have a, a, a chance of, of scoring a goal. And do <laughs> the ball ended up. <laughs> in the river behind the stand he took this penalty it ballooned right over the stand and it went straight in the river behind and um and it was a bit of a nightmare for him because the next day i picked up the the, the local abedonian paper and and obviously it had the 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 result of the game and how it had gone and they were quite you know sort of full of praise yeah. for me and the way i played but this this french trialist he happened to have the name Lionel pratt <laughs> And you can imagine what the headlines were the next day. So, uh, and and I was the, I was the only I was the only one of the the three or four trialists that um, yeah. that they offered a contract to. So I took the two year contract up at Aberdeen. About a week after I'd signed the contract, Alan Pardew rang me up and said, "You know, I'd really yeah. like you to come and sign for me." And I'm said, uh, "So it wasn't. I apologise. It wasn't Charlton. It was when he was oh, in charge right, at yeah. Reading. He was at Reading with Martin Allen. He was at Reading." And um and he said I'd really love you to come and, and sign for me. I said I'm really sorry. I you know I I got an offer to to come yeah. to the SPL with Aberdeen and and I've taken it because I I wasn't I wasn't sure. He completely understood and said you know I'm I'm sorry and uh, and I wish I wish now that I I had assigned mm. you and hadn't waited. But by that time I'd signed for Aberdeen and in my first year up there it's a great place Aberdeen. I you know I made a lot of friends up there. Still keep in touch with some of them now, but. I scored a goal on my home debut, which is something I'd never done before for any club. Um, and that season, we we qualified for the what was that still mm. then the the UEFA Cup yeah. for the following season. So my first season at Aberdeen, I, I really enjoyed. And then for whatever reason, I got into the realms of, of you know going out. I mean, you know, I was still only what 26, 27 being up there it was the first time i'd ever yeah, had like yeah. you know my own place with nobody there to to tell me what <laughs> to do or to you know put the mockers on me so very often what did i do i, I went out and sometimes it was with the lads from the club either when when we could or yeah, when yeah. they were injured and <laughs> i couldn't <laughs> i still went i met people i met people being there because aberdeen is a, as yeah, much as yeah. it's a city it's very very small and pe- people get to learn your business very very quickly so um so yeah I, I got into i got into the wrong habits and i worked really really hard during that first season and came back and i i, I was i was really fit and raring to go and then for some reason i just fell into the trap of of going out and drinking and yeah. staying out till all hours and not not i i still don't get me wrong i didn't toss my training off i still mm. went in and i still trained hard but it's like anything i suppose it, it, i liken it to 
to Ricky Hatton. I mean, Ricky Hatton yeah, trained yeah. like a demon for any of his fights. But as soon as he'd, he'd had his fight, if you saw him, you know, like a month after one of his fights, yeah. <laughs> he had ballooned up by, you know, two or three stone. And even though he he, he shifted all that and, it, and it, he managed to get down to a weight where he, yeah, could, yeah. he could compete and fight again, that that takes so much out of you if you don't give yourself the chance of, of keeping yourself in, in decent condition. And I didn't do that. I was heavy and I was boozy and I needed to sort myself out. And the opportunity came for me to uh, for me to join Brighton. Uh, sorry, yeah. not Brighton, Blackpool. It's on the coast. Still it's on the sitting, coast. Still, it's still <laughs> beginning with being on the coast, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I went to Blackpool. And in hindsight, uh, I wish I'd never done it. Yeah. I wish I'd have stayed at Aberdeen because the manager there, who had, I'd fallen out of favour with, he left as well at the same time. But he'd kept what he was doing extremely quiet. If I'd have known that he was leaving at the start or at the end of that actual calendar year when I was yeah. leaving to go back to Blackpool um I would have stayed and I would have I would have I would have probably have um have earned myself mm. another contract there but yeah, yeah. such is life you don't know what's around the corner and I got the opportunity to come back to England and and play um not too far from, from my family again um and I wish I, I wish I actually hadn't have done it I wish I'd have delayed it for a while because Blackpool of all the places that I I have played, and that includes non-league, was the uh, was the least professional. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because we had Michael Appleton on last week, and from a manager manager's perspective, even even though this was after obviously you played there, he said that was the biggest mistake of his career. So I don't think Blackpool are coming off uh, coming off very well in these uh, these podcasts <laughs> podcasts. No, with us. well we had we had. Um, uh, Mark Seagraves, uh, the old Bolton defender, um, who was a great bloke, he was the he was the guy that that, that coached us and stayed with us. But the manager was Steve McMahon, and yeah. as um, as fabulous a player he was when he played for Liverpool, he was as poor as a manager. <laughs> um, he didn't he didn't really he didn't really have much input. Uh, the only time he did was on a Friday morning when he still wanted to join in and kick lumps out of people and scream and shout at people. Um, and when we played a game on a Saturday, he would disappear um, from Blackpool Airport if we had a home game. He'd be at Blackpool Airport to his place in Spain and we perhaps wouldn't see him again until that Friday morning. Yeah, yeah. But in between times, remember me, you know, I'd said to you about Alex Ferguson never giving yeah, yeah. the first team a day off. A typical week at Blackpool was we'd play a game on a Saturday, we'd we'd have Sunday and Monday off, we'd be in on Tuesday, off on Wednesday, in Thursday, Friday. (laughs) And I'm guessing guessing this didn't help with uh, you finding your going out at Aberdeen, following it through to Blackpool and with all these days Exactly. (laughs) Well, exactly. It was ridiculous. I mean... Fortunately, back then I, I I'd moved and I was I was living in Manchester. I didn't I didn't stay in Blackpool. Yeah, it was yeah. a, you know it was 35, 40 miles from from where I was living, and I, I was happy to do that. I mean there were there were actually some lads that were coming all the way across from Leeds to Blackpool as well. well it's not it's not so, bad for three days a week though, is it? So it's it, it's fine. <laughs> exactly, if you're only doing three days a week. But do you know what? I would have sacrificed that and 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 done the travelling so that yeah. we could have been in a lot more. And what I did was unlike when I was at Aberdeen. Um, where I, if I wasn't training, I would, you know, be exercising me my right arm and <laughs> other parts of my body as well. Um, I, when when I was at Blackpool, I would uh, I, I would sort of go to a gym, yeah. um, you know, cl- local to me. I'd go to the gym and I would I would work on my fitness by myself uh, because I I knew that 
I I wasn't I didn't have the right body shape to be able to only train three times a week mm. and then prepare to you know to go out and 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 play well on a Saturday. So I needed to keep my you know my physical levels quite high, and and that meant working by myself. Uh, uh, it was just unfortunate that the club was so poorly run from from top to bottom that. that it just wasn't an enjoyable time. The the lads were brilliant, but mm. actually the the football and the way the club was run was a was a real letdown. And I I actually wish that I I'd stayed where I was. So then, you went, so then you went to Bury after this, and then in my opinion, your next move after that was the pinnacle of your career. Any any player that plays at this club, Halifax Town, is going down in history as a great player. So what was your time <laughs> like at your short spell at, at my club? <laughs> Well, first and foremost, Berry was because um, Chris Casper, obviously, you know, mm. Gary's yeah, youth yeah. team partner at, 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 in the class of 92, um, he had got the job as the youth team manager. And, and then while I was there, he he was promoted to, to the manager uh, when Andy Priest was given the sack. And I was actually starting to enjoy it. Casper's a very knowledgeable guy, yeah, a really yeah. good trainer. Uh, and I was real. I was actually starting to enjoy my football again when he. Um, it was actually Gary's mum, Jill, who was the secretary mm. at the time, turned around and she said, w- "We we can't offer you anything." He said, "We literally." She said, "We just do not have the money." At the yeah. time, they were they were they were actually paying me as I played, um, but I because I'd played every game, it was like well they've got to offer me something yeah, or yeah. I've, I've got to go and they, they just couldn't afford to give me a contract it was simple as that they were you know there were clubs in the in the what we know as the as the conference or the national league that had more of a budget than Berry. Yeah, yeah. um and it was a real shame because I, I would i would love to have sort of at least played out that season there mm. uh, but then i went to halifax uh, where and it, it's poignant actually that we mentioned halifax because what a phenomenal season Chris Wilder has had with with yeah, Sheffield United, yeah, yeah. and of course Chris was was the manager at um, was the manager at Halifax at the time, and yeah, who yeah. I really got on with, really enjoyed. Uh, and his assistant was another Yorkshire lad called Sean McCauley. Yeah, now yeah. Sean ended up going over to America, but Sean was at United as a kid. And when I tell you about the, I told you about the hazing and and yeah, what yeah, went yeah, on yeah. in the dressing room. <laughs> He was one of the ones that used to come out of the reserve team dressing room and he was a big joker, Sean, and, and yeah, he was yeah. one of the worst. But obviously people grow up and people change and, and I really enjoyed it. And what was great for me was that I joined at a time when um, uh, my, my son was being born. So that would have been around 2004 Lucas was born. And because I, I remember the weather was terrible and they didn't really yeah, have it's, a it's lot never of good weather. It's never good weather no. in Halifax, so it's, that's every day. <laughs> the, the weather was awful. They didn't really have much, many training facilities and certainly outdoors anyway when the weather was that bad because it was around the turn of the year. Lucas was born at the beginning of March, so it was just prior to that. And they were training, would you believe, because they had lads coming from everywhere, they were training at the, um, at the soccer dome at the Trafford Centre, which was just down the road from me. And it was, it, it was perfect, even yeah, though I was, yeah. you know, I was playing for Halifax, uh, the training facilities were virtually right on my doorstep. So, um, but yeah, it, it, was, it was, again, it was a short time there. And, um, and I didn't, I, I, well, they didn't have any, any money to offer me anything. And Chris was very apologetic and, uh, and just said, you know, if it was, if it was different, because I, I 
grown up and I'd played against Chris on numerous occasions yeah. when when we'd come across each other when when we were reserve team players at, at our respective clubs, me at United and and him at Sheffield United. So uh, I I was relishing the prospect of of sort of you know giving him a little bit of time as I as I would have done with with Chris Casper. Uh, at Berry, but unfortunately, again, the same problems arose, and and I I just couldn't continue going in training every day and and not getting paid for it. You can do mm. it for a short amount of time, but at the end of the day, you've got bills that need to be paid, and and I wasn't prepared to do it for nothing, and they understood that. So obviously, taken out of the uh, the situation, Sir Alex Ferguson, who was the best manager you you played under, or you enjoyed playing for the most? Um, I think. I, even though my time at Huddersfield was a bit up and down, um, I I suddenly got to understand why Steve Bruce was such a good manager. Yeah. He was very hands-on on the on the training field. He was very knowledgeable, uh, and some of the sessions that he put on were were really really good. That being said, he he you know the first thing Steve Bruce did when he came in uh, in '99 after United had won the the treble. Um, that was his first season, so we got we we went into pre-season in the July, and about two weeks before we were starting back, I'd just come back off my holidays to find that he'd signed Scott Sellers, yeah. uh, and Scott, fabulous player, fabulous guy, uh, but he and but Scott was at the time I think he was 33, um, he was certainly early 30s anyway, uh, still a very very good player, but I think Steve Bruce just wanted some, he he wanted some. Um, experience in there and you know it was the worst thing for me because obviously he played in my position Scott and mm. and I started off the season and I wasn't in the team I was just coming on and and being you know a, a bit part player in um, in the second half as a substitute but then I I, I did get a, a chance to play in one game when when the winger on the other side got injured at the last minute and he put me on and I, I stayed in the team for quite a while and then I actually ended up taking Scott's place. So Steve Bruce was was somebody that, that um, I didn't always see eye to eye with, but his training sessions, I could see why mm. he has become such a top manager. But believe it or not, the, the one manager that I really did enjoy playing for was my first spell at Huddersfield when I was there on loan. Um, and that was Brian Horton, who mm. had um, who had managed uh, obviously Manchester City as well, yeah. and uh, and he, he was a fabulous bloke. And and I, I actually got sent off twice in my loan spell <laughs> at Huddersfield, and and one of them was for throwing the ball at the referee up at Sunderland, <laughs> who were at the time top of the league. And um, and it, but he he was still really sort of supportive, and and he he tried to sign me after after my loan spell there but Sir Alex wanted me to stay at, at um at Manchester United for another two seasons mm. and again I probably let my heart rule my head there. I, you know, I made some wrong decisions about clubs later on and I wish that I'd I'd have been a little bit firmer and, and I would have signed for Huddersfield sooner than I actually yeah, did yeah. two years later in ninety eight. But I I enjoyed Steve Bruce with his training sessions and, and with his knowledge of the game. Uh, and Brian Horton because he was he was like he he was like my number one fan if you like he yeah, he, yeah. he um he made me feel 
really special and at the time when you know I wasn't sure whether you know what my career was direction it was going in the two loan spells that I had that season of 95 96 when I went to Stockport and then I I went to Huddersfield in the January and finished off the season he was exactly what I needed and that was what I needed and indeed at the end of that season I got picked to to play for the England under 21s yeah. I'd had that much of an impact when I went to, to mm. Huddersfield. So, Steve Bruce and Brian Horton for me, for differing reasons, but but both um, had, had, um, had impacts on my careers. So, obviously, after leaving uh, Halifax Town, you were sort of winding down your career and uh, playing for some non-league clubs, which included Salford City. Um, and then, after retirement, you've gone on to write a book, which I, I've read myself, and I have to say it's a very, very good read. What was that like, writing a book, getting obviously getting in contact with old people and getting new quotes from people? Yeah, well, that the guy who co-wrote it with me, Dan Poole, he was a he started following United when the class of '92 was was coming to the fore. That was when he started to take interest, yeah. real interest in Man United, and he he was interested in sport anyway, um, and. I had um, a contact from him to say that he's seen me going through Euston Station. He works just round the corner on Baker Street. Would it be possible for me to um, for me to meet him at some stage and and sign a couple of things that that he had missing from yeah, yeah. Um, from a scrapbook type thing? Anyway, the, we we sat and we had a we had a cup of coffee outside of Euston Station and then we went our separate ways. And about I don't know less than sort of. A couple of hours later, he phoned me and said, "Have you ever thought about writing a book?" And I just straight away, I just said, "No. What? You know, why would why would anybody be interested in that?" Anyway, he gave me the spiel on on how he thought it would be really interesting because of the the um, the career that I was destined to have, yeah. and with the players that I'd grown up playing with, both in the youth team and who I'd made my debut with. He said, "If you feel as though." You are somebody that could approach all these players and get them to, in their own words, describe you as a player and certainly describe you, uh, uh, the the contrast in you as a player when, you know, sort of post-injury. And I, I have to say that the response that I got from all of them was absolutely brilliant. So, you know, Giggsy, Gaz, Bex, um... I, I mean, they, they were just. I'm trying to think. Brian, Brian Robson, Paul Parker, um, Andre Kanchelskis, Leisha. I mean, there were there were so many of them, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that was the angle that he wanted to write the book from. Was that, you know, it, it's all well and good, people saying, oh yeah, Ben Thornley would have done this and he would have done that. Yeah, yeah. But when it's when I suppose it's endorsed by players that everybody respects and everybody that knows are really, really good players, then it carries a little bit more weight with it. And yeah. that was the, the, the angle that he chose to approach it from. And, and I must admit, the way that he's written it, and, oh, I mean, you've read it, Joe, so yeah. you know how much how much it, it bounces around, yeah. but the relevant people come in at the relevant times yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, slate, slate me for, you know, my dress sense. And, <laughs> you know, so so he, he brings Giggsy in for that and stuff like that. And, and I think the way that it's written it, it's really appropriate, some of the comments that come out at the right time. And even though it does jump around a lot from, you know, the end of my career to the beginning and my family and whatever else, mm. 
it does dovetail really nicely with the way that he's done it and uh, and yeah it was a it was a quite a long exercise it took me just over a year but mm. i was really pleased with that i'd done it and you know it's not it's not everybody that can say that they've uh, they've written a book and exactly, no matter yeah. what people no matter what people think of it i, I must admit the um, the the feedback that i i did get initially especially when it because i mean it's been out now since october of 2018 so mm. it's not as if it's brand new on the shelves it's been around for a while but certainly the the, the people that have read it have, have have given me really positive feedback yeah. and that they you know they did really enjoyed it and that was that was what i wanted to that was what i wanted to achieve that i wanted people to to understand that um that just because you have failure in your life it doesn't mean to say that you can't keep going and, and build yourself yeah. back up and and try to be a success in other ways and if that means as a human being then so be it yeah so now you're uh, involved with mutv obviously the the manchester united channel um you're doing a bit of cold commentary uh have you give uh, gary a few calls asking for a bit of advice on what to do no, but I do listen to him. I must admit, I, I see him. Uh, I see him all the time, and and obviously Gary's remit is uh, is very very different to to yeah. my own because there there are obviously things he he's very very objective, uh, and at the end of the day, we're both fans. The difference being is that he can say what he feels even if it's negative, yeah. uh, whereas I can't. You know, I have to be much more. <laughs> I have to be much more diplomatic and uh, and keep any sort of things that I really would like to say but know that I shouldn't yeah. um, to myself and try and express them in a different way. <laughs> but I always listen to Gaz because, again, you see people on the training field but you listen to him. And to be fair, Jamie Carragher, I think they work extremely well together. Um, yeah. I think people have, have probably forgotten um, the, the the Monday night football show that they do when they analyse different things and there are things on there that they see and that they pick up that the you know the the normal football fan if you like yeah, yeah. wouldn't wouldn't actually see and that's a that's just being trained to an expert eye and and Gaz is is brilliant at what he does and um, and I, I, as much as I wouldn't ask him for for any tips because my views you know need to be my own I need to express them in a in a way that that um, that, that I feel not that somebody else and through the eyes of somebody else but i still listen to gaz the way he articulates and and the way that he um way he does his commentary when i'm obviously not doing it myself but uh yeah he's a he's a brilliant lad gaz he's he's hard work at times but he's um he's a he's a brilliant lad and extremely extremely successful person as well yeah so i think that that wraps us up nicely for today ben just want to say massive thank you for joining us today you're welcome. You. It's been a pleasure, Joe. And uh, Sam, I hope it continues to go well for you. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you for Take listening. Take care. All the best. See ya.